Today on the show, I cover the recent smash hit that I said I would never see called Top Gun Maverick, and I also cover a longtime favorite called Happy Gilmore. Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for joining me today. So I was I was scrolling through, I have a list of movies on my Voodoo account that I need to rewatch. And so I have this 60 movie list of movies I need to revisit. I realized today that the description for the movie Mystic River, directed by Clint Eastwood and starring Sean Penn, it's got a description on Voodoo, and it is simply, We bury our sins. We wash them clean. A seemingly senseless murder. Period. That's it. That's the whole description. What is that? What... I don't really remember Mystic River, and maybe they say that in the movie. I don't remember that at all. And what kind of description is that to go with? If you're if you're watching that movie, it's that didn't give you anything. That you you know there was a murder. That that's about it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where these. It's got to be a mistake. It, it just has to be. So. I went to write this, I have to do this review because I talked bad about, I I basically said I wasn't going to see this movie, and now that I have, and you know, all that stuff, I I feel the need to review it and and talk about it on this episode. So the first first movie I'm going to be talking about today is the one and only Top Gun Maverick. The sequel to the 1986 film Top Gun, starring Tom Cruise and featuring Val Kilmer and a handful of other... Oh, and and Kelly McGillis, don't forget her. And just, you know, there are a lot of great people in this movie, in the the original movie. And then in this new movie, there's a lot of great people in it, don't get me wrong. I'm typically not a fan of these... These sequels that are coming 30 years plus after the movies. I, I I was talking to a guy at work that that was telling me to see this movie. And I said to him that I got burned by a little movie called Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And I, I the pain still hasn't gone away. And I, I'm, I'm reluctant. And so I... I, against my better judgment, I went ahead and saw this movie, and I I don't regret it. It was, you know, it. I'll get into it. The director of this movie, because the original director of Top Gun is Tony Scott, and Tony Scott has since passed away. Uh, very tragic circumstances. He was he was a great filmmaker. I like a lot of his movies, and he. He really, he, he has brought a lot of joy to my life, so it, it's very tragic to see somebody like that just 
go that that easily or that quickly. So the new director of this Top Gun Maverick is named Joe Kosinski. He 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 directed Tron Legacy and Oblivion, which also stars Tom Cruise. I, I never saw either of these movies. I, I just recently saw the movie Tron for the first time. I didn't need a sequel. When I when I watched Tron, I came away from it thinking, yeah, there's a reason that they didn't make a sequel to this movie until 35 years later. And I don't know how well it did, but I hope that it didn't do well enough that they try and justify another sequel because that would be insane. Now... The, the weirdest thing about this Top Gun Maverick movie, it's it's been in the works for quite a long time. It's, it's definitely something they've spent a lot of time developing and re, reinvigorating and rehashing and, you know, all that stuff. Tom Cruise comes up before the movie even starts and he's sitting in this chair... And I had already seen previews for this movie, so I knew what he looked like in the movie. And he looked old in this this video before the movie, where basically he was he was telling everybody, you know, what a great job they had done in this movie, and how much he hoped they enjoyed it, and blah blah blah. Which, yeah, that's totally fucking worth doing. But okay, whatever. So you just want to mention to everybody how hard you worked on this movie? Okay. Great. He just, he looked so much older though. I'll get, I'll get into it in a minute because, but he just, it, it must have been the contrast because I feel like I've seen Tom Cruise recently and he hasn't looked that bad, but wow. So Jerry Bruckheimer was a producer on this movie and he was a producer on the original movie. Uh, he, he produced the show CSI and I'm sure he was a producer on the other iterations of CSI. Uh, he did a couple of Beverly Hills Cop movies, Days of Thunder, Bad Boys, The Rock, Con Air, Armageddon, Enemy of the State, Gone in 60 Seconds, Remember the Titans, National Treasure, some of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, uh, a lot of bad ones like Deja Vu and Kangaroo Jack, uh, but he's a solid producer. He's He's got a lot of good, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying Con Air is a spectacular movie. I mean, actually, a lot of these are not that amazing, but they're they're well-known and they're successful. So, Hans Zimmer apparently did the soundtrack to this, which I guess he might have done the original. I, I honestly, now that I'm looking at this in my notes, I don't remember. Um, he, might have, he might have been a co-composer on this movie, if I remember right, but I think it was just having his name on it. So, getting back to the Tom Cruise thing. I, I put in my notes, Tom Cruise and his plastic CGI face. And I don't know that they actually did anything to digitally alter his face. But he looks way too young. It doesn't, it doesn't look natural. And I, I don't know if he got made up that much or if he just... If they really did kind of deep fake his his appearance, but it was, it was wild. I mean, just looking at him in this movie, I was, I was blown away because he didn't, he didn't look bad at all, especially looking at him after the little pre-movie video. Wow. 
so obviously Tom Cruise, you know, I, I've covered his movies before, Mission Impossible 1 and 2. Um, he's obviously, he plays, you know, Lieutenant Pete Maverick uh, Mitchell in the, in the original movie, and he returns in that role in this movie. Uh, he was in Edge of Tomorrow, which I really enjoyed. It's also called Live, Die, Repeat, in case you don't know what I'm talking about. He was in Minority Report, a solid futuristic movie, A Few Good Men, great drama, uh, courtroom drama. I genuinely, I, like I've said before, I'm not a huge Tom Cruise fan. I don't, I don't love him in a lot of things, but there are some movies of his that I still need to watch. I really want to see Magnolia and Vanilla Sky and just just give them a chance, but I also don't want to get too much of an overdose of Tom Cruise. But I will say, a lot of people tell me they love him in this movie. Not, not Top Gun Maverick, but uh, Tropic Thunder. He plays this boss, you know, this this guy who is... I can't remember if he's a producer or whatever because they're shooting the movie in, within the movie of Tropic Thunder. And Tom Cruise is just fucking obnoxious in it. And it, it's not funny. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me as, as humorous or anything. It's just Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. It, it, ugh, God, I fucking hate it. Um, Val Kilmer actually returned for this movie. So... If you haven't seen it, check out the, the documentary Val. Uh, I believe it's on Amazon Prime Video. I think it's a an Amazon original movie, so it is probably on there indefinitely. You can check that out. It's a pretty good story. It's about him and his career and his struggles. He, you know, he has throat cancer now, and it's just been... Uh, it's it's been really rough for him lately. I, I feel really bad for the guy. He's he's an immensely talented guy. I loved him in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Heat with uh, De Niro and Pacino. He's great in Tombstone. I mean, if you know Tombstone, you know you know you probably love him in Tombstone. Uh, he was Batman in Batman Forever. Um, unfortunately, he was he was a good Batman in a bad in a bad Batman movie and he he basically just wanted out because they were focusing too much on villains and all that stuff so he didn't stick around and I can't really blame him he was also Elvis in True Romance which is interesting I mean they don't actually explicitly say that he's Elvis and they don't show his face but he's he's doing this Elvis thing the whole time Obviously, he's in Top Gun 1. He's Iceman, and he that's what he returns as in this movie. I mean, let me just be clear. Nobody is returning to this movie from the original movie playing a different character, so I can just stop being stupid. You know, he was in Willow, and, you know, it's got, uh, is it Warwick Davis? And I just didn't care for Willow. Willow was not my kind of movie. I, I don't know what it was about it, but it just did not. It did not go... It was not a good movie, in my opinion. I, I was very happy because he, you know, with the throat cancer, he can't really speak very well. Um, and I'm glad that they brought him back and they didn't gloss over that. They they kind of accommodated that into his character and they, they adjusted it and they made it so he was... 
he wasn't talking, he was typing, he was, you know, he was, it was clear he had, his character had under, undergone the same health issues, and, and I think that was a really smart way to play this. Because uh, I've seen movies since, uh, the movie The Snowman, they, I believe they dubbed him, you know, he performed all of the lines, and then they dubbed him. But I don't know if they dubbed him with somebody else's voice or if they had him try and enunciate the words better in a studio or something. But they did a good job, I think, in this movie. Ed Harris was in this movie for, I shit you not, like, less than five minutes. I think he had less than five minutes of on-screen time. That's all I have to say about Ed Harris. Uh, John Hamm. It's a solid role for him. I haven't seen John Hammond much recently, and I think it's really good that he came through and actually played this part. And you know, he he really did a good job. He 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 played the stuffy superior officer very well, and I think I think it was it was solid. There were there were a bunch of nods to the original movie, and by the way, I didn't realize that the Navy had photographers taking photographs of everyone during all these pivotal moments where they were, you know, high-fiving each other or, you know, hugging each other at the end of the movie. I didn't, I guess I didn't realize the photographers were there, but they, they just threw these, these little nods from the original movie, which a movie like this is not going to be without those references to the original movie. It ha- it has to have them. And what you have to do is you have to walk that delicate line between referencing the original movie because it supports the story and it keeps the ideas fresh in the viewers' minds. And then, you know, you, you want to avoid getting into that extreme side of over-referencing and making everything about this this previous movie that yeah people people love the original movie but if they want to watch the original movie they're going to watch it they're not going to sit around and wait for this movie to explain what what the first one was all about one thing one notable uh missing character in this movie is Kelly McGillis if you google what Kelly McGillis looks like now and this is I'm not trying to be mean I'm just saying she she has not aged as well as Tom Cruise, and she she looks, I mean she she looks older, you know she she doesn't look as she doesn't look as good as she did in um, the original movie, and obviously she wasn't going to, but she doesn't look as good as some of the actors that were in the original movie um, would now. I mean, obviously Tom Cruise you know, whatever they're doing there to make that work. I, I don't know that they could have gone far enough with Kelly McGillis, but they basically replaced her with this Jennifer Connelly. And Jennifer Connelly has been in a bunch. She was in Requiem for a Dream. She was in Career Opportunities. She was in The Rocketeer. She's She's been in a ton of movies. She's an ageless hottie, as my notes say. Uh, she's She's a really good-looking person, and I, I, I like, I like her in this movie. I think she does really good. There, there are a bunch of 
basically what it is, uh, I'll kind of set the stage for the actual plot of the movie. They, they take, so Iceman specifically requests Maverick come and teach these new pilots how to, you know, they, they basically have to, you know, bomb this location or whatever. It's, it's, Completely irrelevant. It's a total MacGuffin who gives a shit about what they're actually doing or why they're doing it. It's just what they're doing, you know? And so they have, you know, all of these call signs like Hangman and Bob and Phoenix and blah, blah, blah. Um, one notable character is named uh, Rooster. And it's he's played by Miles Teller. And he's supposed to be Goose's son who... Uh, Goose obviously met his untimely demise in the first one, and so there's like a whole backstory with that that I won't ruin for anybody. There is a big training sequence, there's a ton of training that goes on, him, you know, Maverick showing these young bucks how to, how to handle themselves in the air and all this stuff, and how, how to learn how to how how to do what they need to do. Oh shit, I never looked this up, but the the chick from Uncle Buck was in this movie, I think. The the you know, the oldest daughter in Uncle Buck that's she's at odds with Uncle Buck the entire movie. I can't remember, but she was in this movie and I don't remember from the first one. And I I kept I kept waiting around because I wanted to see how many others were going to show up and basically Iceman and uh, Maverick are are the two major players that return for this movie. There's there's not many others to be seen. As I mentioned, you know there there are all these pictures that are from the first movie that just nobody would have been taking. Nobody would have been on that on that boat, you know, on that aircraft carrier taking these photographs. You know, just wouldn't have been happening. There, so there is a scene, and I, I hate to give this away, but there's a scene where they play a little beach football, and uh, it didn't, it didn't really for me capture the complex homoeroticism of the beach volleyball scene from the first one, but I think it was a good nod. It was, a, it was a nice, it was a nice choice, you know, to to kind of call back to that. Tom Cruise. I don't know if this is a pilot, if this is like a pilot thing, or if this is, I don't know how it works, but Tom Cruise hugs with his fists clenched, and it's weird to me. I, I'm like, you're supposed to be patting. You're supposed to be, you're, you pat the person on the back. If you're giving them a legit hug, you pat them on the back while you're hugging them. I'm sorry, that's how that worked. There were a lot of practical effects in this movie, they were very well done. I will say there was not a single moment in this movie that I thought to myself, wow, this looks fake and CGI'd. I never had that going on. So so mostly practical effects, and as we've discussed in the past, those are the, the ones that look best and stand the test of time if you can pull them off. But I mean, it's gotten to the point where you don't even realize the CGI is there most of the time. So I don't know that it would have necessarily suffered so much, but what can you do? Apparently, Cruz was quoted as 
dismissing, in the early 90s, he dismissed the idea of a sequel to Top Gun because he said it would be irresponsible, which I don't, that sounds like something somebody would say that is still very young and is still very much getting other movie roles and they don't have to worry about going back to an old role for a new sequel and then it ends up being the biggest movie of their career, which is just bizarre, but I'll get into that in a second. So Tony Scott and uh, Jerry Bruckheimer were approached with an offer in as early as I believe 2010 is what it said. And obviously it took a long time. I mean, it's been 12 years since that. And it seems like they've been talking about this, this sequel for longer than that, but you know, it's, it's still, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. This movie had a budget of $170 million and it had, um, well, it's so far, it's worldwide gross is $918.3 million. The three-day opening, so it opened on, I think, Memorial Day weekend. The three-day opening was $126.7 million, And the four-day opening total was $160.5 million. So that's pretty fucking solid. It's it's apparently the biggest box office of Tom Cruise's career, which he's got to be proud of. It's currently sitting at an 8.6 on IMDb. Very very solid rating. That's I mean if you're in the 8s, you're in classic territory. The critics are saying, you know, they're it's 97% favorable for critics on Rotten Tomatoes and 99% favorable for the audience on Rotten Tomatoes. The original movie was a 6.9 on IMDb, which is pretty abysmal. And it was a 58% for critics and an 83% for audience. So obviously that movie was much more well-liked by viewers than the critics. I would would rank this, I would honestly say 4.5 out of 5 stars, and that's probably about what I would put the first one at. I would say maybe the first one is, it's... It's got to be better, but I don't know. I don't know if I could actually get into it. It's just the gut feeling of why it's better. You know, it's just, it's the first one. It's the original. It's, it is what it is. And it's just, I mean, it's pretty great, you know? And so I can't, I can't hate Tom Cruise in this one. He, he's pretty good. All, everybody is giving it their all and it doesn't feel like a cheap money grab kind of movie. So so that's something. I'm I'm happy for that. So now moving on to uh Happy Gilmore, which is a movie that I have watched so many times in my life. I I it's rivaled only by Batman, which I have definitely seen more times, but Happy Gilmore for a bit of time in the 90s, I was watching that religiously. I was watching it all the fucking time. And so it's got, uh, the director is Dennis Dugan, who actually is, he apparently wanted to give Adam Sandler a shot in an earlier movie because this came out in 1996 and the studio wouldn't let Dugan cast Sandler because nobody knew who Sandler was. And 
when Adam Sandler, you know, when they were making this movie and Adam Sandler saw that he was interested in making the movie, Sandler was like, you're the guy that wanted to give me a shot. You're the guy that stuck his neck out for me. I want to work with you, you know? So that's, that's cool. I mean, that's really awesome that, and, and this guy worked with Sandler a lot and he still does. Um, he's actually, he plays Doug, the, uh, the tour president or whatever you want to call it in this movie. He also plays in, he's in Big Daddy. He plays the guy that, you know, they miss Halloween. So he takes him around on a day that's not Halloween and forces this guy to give him whatever he's got for, you know, a Halloween treat. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. This this movie was written by uh, Adam Sandler, of course, and a guy named Tim Herlihy, which is apparently referenced in a skit that I've never heard of on SNL and so Adam Sandler and him were, you know, they were friends. And apparently Judd Apatow actually did a a rewrite of this movie that was not credited. And, I mean, Judd Apatow, obviously, super bad, 40-year-old virgin. All of those movies that, you know, are just... They're the 2000s, you know, they were the bread and butter of the comedy world. So the original story was... They were actually making it an official PGA type type story. You know, it was it was the same idea, but it was it was going to have you know the Masters in it, and it was going to be making fun of the United States Golfers Association and and the PGA and all this stuff. And it, it's just it, it's a like they had a guy. Um, Mark Lai, I think is his name, he was kind of like their consultant in this movie, and he basically told them, guys, you can't do this. You you need to make this a fictional tour. You need to make this a fictional tournament. You can't have them getting a green jacket, make it a gold jacket, whatever. You know, just do whatever you got to do. And they agreed to it, and he took them, you know, he wanted to show them what the, the atmosphere was of the average golf tournament, you know, the pro golf tournaments, because, I mean, the, <laughs> there's so much that if, you, if you've never been to a golf tournament, you don't really realize how extreme it can be, and how, you know, I mean, people are very particular about being quiet, not making a lot of fuss. It's everybody's got to be professional. Everybody's got to be dressed nice and all this stuff. So, I mean, they really obviously took off, you know, did a take on the professionalism and all that stuff and, and went in the complete opposite direction. This movie, the opening montage is one of my all time faves. So it's set to Leonard Skinner's Tuesday's gone, and we don't hear any vocals, to my knowledge, unless they're really dialed down. But they they play the instrumental to Tuesday's gone while Happy Gilmore is explaining his life, and he goes through and he explains why he loves hockey, and you know all these jobs that he's had in his life, and how all he ever really wanted was to be a pro hockey player and blah, blah, blah. And it really sets the tone. You get a good idea for 
what kind of people, or what kind of person, I should say, Happy Gilmore is. There's also a scene, which I'll mention a little bit later, but there's a scene where he's he's shooting cans off this ledge with a nail gun at a construction site, and he accidentally shoots his boss in the head with a nail, and his boss is wearing a hard hat. I guess I'm getting into this right now. His boss is wearing a hard hat, and... Later in the movie, we see this boss, because the boss beat the shit out of him at the time, and this boss no longer has a hard hat on, but still has the nail in his head somehow, which I'm always perplexed by. His, you know, his grandma, his grandma, you know, he he loves his grandma, the whole driving force behind the plot is, is his grandma and her needing money, and so... She's a sweet old lady. There are a couple of scenes where I could swear she was behaving as though she were an actual blind person. And I don't know much about this lady that that played her, but it was very strange to... Like, I just... I I had never noticed it when I was younger because I probably just didn't pay attention. But, you know, it was... It was pretty... Pretty interesting. So, getting on to, you know, just... I've talked about this in uh, some of my articles on brandonatrandom.wordpress.com. Adam Sandler, I, I've got a, I've got such a love-hate relationship with him. Some of the movies of his I love are his early stuff. You know, Billy Madison, this movie, obviously, Big Daddy, The Wedding Singer. And he had some, some dramatic roles that were solid, like Punch Drunk Love and Uncut Gems and things like that. Basically, everything in the last 20 years or so that he has made comedy-wise has sucked. Um, There's a movie that I started watching that I need to finish that just came out. It's called Hustle, and he plays an NBA scout, and I think it's it's got potential to be very interesting. Basically, everything that is not a, a comedy from this last 20 years, you know, I mean, is... Decent, but his comedies, you got Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2, terrible, laziest comedies I've ever watched. Uh, Jack and Jill, where he plays a man and a woman, like, I guess they're brothers, okay? I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, which has some of the laziest old gay jokes you'll ever see in a movie. It, it, it is Oh my god, it makes me so annoyed. Another so beside Adam Sandler in this movie, you know, probably second fiddle would be Christopher McDonald, who plays Shooter McGavin. Uh Shooter McGavin is like the number one guy on the golf tour. Uh Christopher McDonald was in Grease 2 with Michelle Pfeiffer, who I've been in love with since 1992. And I would say, oh, what else was he in? Oh, he's in Thelma, Thelma and Louise. And apparently he turned down this role twice because he was tired of playing a villain and he wanted to spend time with his family. I didn't really have any, I didn't really find any information on what, turned him around on this but apparently Bruce Campbell was 
lobbying for this role pretty heavily and obviously didn't get it. It's just, I find it strange. Uh, I, I don't I don't know Christopher McDonald from anything else. Uh, another, uh, another, okay, so probably third in line would be Julie Bowen. She plays Virginia Bennett, who is a public relations person for the golf tour. And I have to say, so she's, she's good looking in this movie, but she has this super duper 90s shorter hairstyle and it it is not really my cup of tea but what I love is now and it's been you know it was probably almost it had to be 15 20 years after Happy Gilmore came out that she was cast in the show Modern Family as basically the main mom she but she is really really good looking in modern family she is the only reason that she hasn't gotten more attention for being good looking in modern family is because sofia vergara is the you know she's in it so it's it's kind of hard it's going to distract from the eye a little bit carl weathers is in this film he is um he plays chubbs peterson he apparently so i talked about this in a previous review um, he was in Predator, and this in this movie, he, he tells a story about, you know, how he lost his hand, and the, the missing hand thing is apparently a reference to the scene I talked about in Predator, where his arm gets cut off by a plasma cannon thing, and he, and it, it falls off, and his and the trigger is still being pulled by the gun that was in his hand or on the gun that that was in his hand I should say and it just keeps going and so apparently this this him you know whole, this whole thing with him missing a hand in this movie is a reference to that movie which is great obviously he's Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies you know for as long as he he lasts in those movies and he was in Arrested Development which I've already talked about so I won't go there uh, Richard Keel, Keel, Kyle, for some reason, I really thought that this dude played Lurch on the original Adams Family show, but apparently not. That's not the case. It was some guy named Ted Cassidy. I had no idea. He was, he played the henchman Jaws in two James Bond movies, The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, and he was great in those movies. I mean, I just... He was probably one of, if not the best, henchmen ever in a James Bond movie. And the, I mentioned the whole nail in the head thing. So, you know, throughout this movie, he, you know, because he, he starts supporting Happy Gilmore while he's golfing. And he he still has a nail in his head. And he's he's monstrously tall. He's like seven foot two inches tall. And it, it's just ridiculous. So... There's a professional golfer that has a very bit part, almost what I would call a cameo, but I would call it more of a bit part because he does speak a lot and 
He appears in multiple scenes, you know, it's just, so to me, it's not a cameo. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock made cameos in his movies. He would, he would just appear on screen and not say anything to anybody and just leave the frame or, you know, it would cut to something else and he wouldn't be there anymore. Okay, Lee Trevino is a professional golfer and he, he frequently is appearing simply to, to look at Happy Gilmore and shake his head with disgust. And my friend, when I was growing up, that actually introduced me to this movie, his sister claimed that Lee Trevino was supposed to be Happy Gilmore's guardian angel. And I was like, what is that? But, I mean, that's cool and all, but where, how? How is he a guardian angel? What, what about him? makes you think that, you know? So, I've always been very confused by that, and apparently Lee Trevino came out within the last several years and claimed that he wished he had never been in this movie because he just didn't realize there'd be so gosh darn much swearing in it, which, to me, I guess, my opinion on that is eat a dick and, uh, you know... Stop being so fucking uptight with your bullshit, Lee Trevino. I don't, I don't fucking care. I, I, people, people that are oversensitive to swearing, loosen up. Just get the fuck over it. I mean, you might be upset that I'm saying this right now, and I'm sure you're going to call me out for it. I don't care. I, people that are like, oh gosh, I just wish you wouldn't curse so much. Why? What, what, what good is it going to do you? You know, that's that's where I'm at with it. So this movie has arguably the, the defining scene of this movie. It won the MTV Movie Award for the best fight. And it is when Happy Gilmore goes and he's at a pro-am, which is professional amateur tour. So he's paired with, with an amateur. And that amateur happens to be Bob Barker from The Price is Right. You know, the host of The Price is Right. And it's so great. It's, I mean, Bob Barker and and Happy Gilmore literally fist fight each other, and oh man, and they're on a golf course, and they're oh, I love it. I fucking love it. And you can't forget it once you've seen it. There's a scene at the end of this movie where, you know, Shooter McGavin. You know, obviously, the, the, the whole movie comes down to... Because I, I I don't think it would take much to figure this out, so I don't consider this a spoiler. But, you know, Shooter McGavin and Happy Gilmore are having a showdown at this final golf tournament to win the gold jacket. You know, that's the whole premise of the movie. And Shooter McGavin is being very cocky, and he says to Virginia Bennett that he's explaining basically how he wants the gold jacket to be tailored for him. And he says something about his right arm being just a little longer than his left, you know, as like a joke, I guess, about him, you know, his golf stance, you know, because obviously one arm is, you know, the right arm is further down. But he says this to her and it's like, but why are, why are you telling her what she's public relations? She's not going to be, the person who does anything with that. What, I guess, I mean, it's, it's just an easier way to have him be hassling somebody or whatever, but I just found it funny that, that he says that. 
Uh, the budget of this movie was $12 million. Uh, worldwide gross was $41.2 million. So you, you could call it a success for sure. It's 7 out of 10, 7.0 out of 10 on IMDb, which is pretty good. I would have expected lower for a, a comedy like this. On Rotten Tomatoes, critics are at 61%, which is just barely fresh. And the audience is 85%, which is, it's about what I would have expected. You know, I, I wouldn't ever think that this movie would be a critically acclaimed film. You know, it, it's, it's certainly not something that people are going to be unanimous about. It's just, it is what it is. It's, it's an interesting movie and it's, you know, it's a funny concept. It's kind of, I don't know if you'd call it like a fish out of water kind of movie, but it's just so good. You know, I mean, it, the the things that happen in this movie, I don't care. I mean, maybe, maybe I got older and Adam Sandler stayed the same and I just got more mature, but I swear this movie is still funny and I still enjoy it, but I can't, I can't unsee it and see it again for the first time at this age because I get the feeling I wouldn't like it as much, but it's not, there's no way it's as bad as Jack and Jill. I guarantee it. Obviously, this one near and dear to my heart. I will rank it five out of five stars. Say what you will about that. And say what you will about my stance on swearing. I don't give a flying fuck. I think people need to desensitize themselves to to words that only have, you know, that strong of a meaning for them because they they put that meaning into those words. So, let it go. <coughs> okay, sorry. I So, I had to record this portion, like, long after I recorded the original set, which was just going to be the Top Gun Maverick movie and Happy Gilmore. I received a request from a uh, friend slash coworker that uh, that I covered this movie, and he didn't really seem to care whether it was in my uh, you know in my podcast or on my blog. It didn't really matter to him. He just he wanted to pitch one to me because I had been foolishly asking for a bad movie to cover, and. So he delivered, um, he, he wanted me to watch this movie that is called Gold, G-O-L-D, and it has, it has a lot going on, let me just tell you that, it's, it, and not very much at all at the same time. I'll, I'll just dive right into it, I don't know if I'll be able to spend very much time on this because there's not really much to be discussed in this movie, but, you know, whatever. This movie uh, is, is called Gold. It was released on January 13th, 2022. Anthony Hayes, who you've never heard of, wrote, directed, and produced this film. And I was starting to get this feeling, because there are certain people that direct, write, and produce their own things that they have like this, this otherworldly badness about them. Like, they don't know how to shoot a movie, 
They don't know how to write a movie. They don't have any fucking idea what they're doing. One of them is Tommy Wiseau, who made the infamous The Room. Not Room with Brie Larson. The Room with Tommy Wiseau. And then there's another one, and I think his name is Neil Breen. And he has... The only movie of his I've seen is called Fateful Findings. And when I... I went to watch it for the podcast, How Did This Get Made? The only place that I could find it to watch it at all, anywhere, was Pornhub. And this is not, this is not a movie with like a bunch of nudity in it or something. It was, it's like legitimately the only place you could find it was fucking Pornhub. But anyway, so I had to watch this fucking movie. And anyway, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that there are, there are certain people who really think that they're, they're creative types and they think that they can make a movie based on what little they obviously know about how to make movies. And they just set out to make a movie and, you know, they write one. They don't have a, probably a very robust editing process and they don't, do much to trim the fat and, you know, to to have people look at it critically and help them understand what they need to do to make a better movie out of it. So that was what I thought I was running into with this, this Anthony Hayes character. I always, you know, I have this kind of, the, I always have notes as I've mentioned. You know, I, I try and list off if the director, writer, or producer are noteworthy, I will talk about them and the things, you know, their their accolades, the, the things that they've done in their career. But the problem is this, I mean, there's not enough to talk about in this movie to let it, you know, just pass over talking about this writer, director, producer. So Anthony Hayes has made gold, this movie. He made something called 10 Empty, Sweet Dreams, New Skin, and the last note I have is, it's just those four movies. He wrote and directed and produced all of them. Nothing that I've ever heard of in my life at all. And he's been in, you know, he's been an actor in movies that I've seen or wanted to see, but he hasn't been a major contributor creatively, if you know what I mean. The composer on this movie is Anthony Partos. No movies worth mentioning. Nothing at all. Okay. Finally, we get on to the actors. And the first one you've heard of, probably. Zac Efron. He's been around for quite a while. He's a reasonably talented guy. I, I actually like him. He's one of those guys that, you know... The ladies love, you know, they, they think he's attractive, He's he's got a killer bod, you know, all this stuff. Sure, I, I get it, you know. I mean, I, I can't fault them for that. I mean, I can't tell you how many girls on this podcast I have and will talk about how much of a crush I have on them for, you know, comparable reasons, right? Zac Efron plays the character of what is what he's credited is Man One. Okay, the actual name of that character is Virgil, and so Zac Efron, you, you've most notably he was he's he got a big you know break with the High School Musical movies. You know he was in those with a bunch of people that are now reasonably famous. He was also in a movie called Seventeen again, which I think was like Matthew Perry 
transforms into him, you know, like he becomes 17 again. I think that's the concept of that movie. And obviously this was when Zac Efron was younger. He was in a movie called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile. That is all one title. And that is a movie about the famed serial killer Ted Bundy. I really, like, my note about that movie because I did watch that one. It was on, I think, Netflix or something like that. But I appreciated the fact that they didn't, like, they went to great lengths not to sensationalize the murders, you know, and not not make it, like, you know, really over-the-top gross with a bunch of death and all this stuff and whatever but they showed nothing in this movie it was like you didn't even get a sense of this guy being the kind of guy that he really was you only saw and I guess it was like to help you see him from that from the perspective of the public at the time you know they they only had that to go on and that was what they convicted him on and all that stuff but at the same time I'm like why are you making a movie for that you know why why wouldn't I just look up you know why wouldn't you make a documentary about him why wouldn't you you know so I I struggle with it I mean Zac Efron had a, a solid performance in it I can't I can't you know fault him at all for the movie being underwhelming uh he was in the the movie Baywatch Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, which I actually enjoyed that movie mostly because I like all of the people that were like the main stars of it because it was, it was Zac Efron who who I'm, you know, I'm a decent enough, you know, like I like him all right. And then that guy from Workaholics, I can never remember his name, was, was his brother in the movie. Then you had the girls that they were going to be going on the dates with. Aubrey Plaza, who I am head over heels in love with, would spend all of eternity with her. And Anna Kendrick, who I love more than anything in the world, anyone in the world, whatever you want to say. But I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna rein it in because I think I'm getting a little ridiculous. So anyway, Zach Efron was in those movies with Seth Rogen called Neighbors. You know, the first one and the second one. He was in a movie called Charlie St. Cloud, which I have heard of. And I, I've heard pretty mixed reviews about. I don't know that it was one that quite lived up to the hype. But, you know, it was it was a movie nonetheless. Um, a couple of movies of his that I'd like to see. I've heard good things about The Greatest Showman. Uh, he was also in something called Me and Orson Welles. Both of these movies are just ones that I've heard of that I, I think I would like. So, next on our list of actors, I have one Anthony Hayes, who, hey, he wrote, directed, and produced this movie. And he is the second, like, the the supporting cast member, right? So, he is Man 2, also known as Keith. Uh, He's been in nothing that I've heard of, other than... There are some that I I guess I've heard of, I want to see them, I've just... He's never been in anything that I've seen. He was in a movie called Animal Kingdom with Guy Pearce and Joel Edgerton, which looks pretty decent. And War Machine with Brad Pitt, which I'm not really sure if that one's out yet, but I I feel like I've heard of it. So one other actor in this movie is uh, Susie Porter, 
she plays um, a character that is named simply The Stranger. And she hasn't been in any movie that I uh, feel is worth talking about. She's been in almost nothing. And that's that's just the way it is. But what can you do? <sighs> a couple of casting notes. Um, actually, just the one. My note is, I can't believe Zac Efron signed up for this. Who is his agent? Because I feel like I've seen... Zac Efron, like, his name is on some some sh- shitty shit, you know? It's just, it's just the way I feel about it. So, I, f- I found it funny, because, like, you know, so my coworker, you know, he, he stopped me and was telling me, you know, like, he, he had listened to the podcast and everything, and he was, like, telling me about this movie, and I was like, okay, like, I've never heard of this movie, but he was like, yeah, it's on Hulu, you know, check it out, and... Let me know what you think. And I was like, okay. And so before I went home, I went ahead and, you know, I started like on break. I, I went and I looked on my phone and I was like trying to get a sense check of this, of this movie, this, you know, I'm like, what is this? You know what I mean? Like, why haven't I heard of it? And I could tell when he said it was Zac Efron and nobody else that he'd ever heard of, I was like, okay, so it's probably just a shitty low budget movie, you know what I mean? It's probably not that bad compared to what my expectations are. You know, it's probably just a bad movie. Well, I look at this wiki page and the wiki page looks like, it's like it reads like it was written by the guy that made the movie or like an enthusiastic fan that has nothing but good things to say about this movie. And it is it is fucking ridiculous. But it, I mean, because they, they talk about, you know, uh, I'll, I'll get into it. I'll give I'll give some examples in a little bit. But j- just to give you an idea, it just it sounds a little nuts when you're reading it, you know, here and there. So just some some basic plot overview points. So Virgil slash man one gets a ride with Keith slash man two. To go to a place called The Compound in what I think is the Australian desert, but I wasn't really clear on that. When they get into the compound, they discover something and they need to unearth it to, you know, to be able to have it, you know, to because it's it's too big to to just take it, you know. And so it's so big that they can't even get it out. Like they can't dig it out with shovels. And so, you know, they try and use the truck and they can't do, you know, it won't budge. And so they talk and Virgil agrees to stay and guard the thing that they found. And Keith is going to go and get an excavator, okay? And he is, he is saying that it's going to take two or three days each way to go get the excavator and bring it back, okay? Which is a long fucking time to be stranded in the desert. And we're talking the desert like it's a fucking wasteland. It's, there's nothing there. Okay, so he leaves Virgil there. And then we basically watch Virgil fight to survive in the desert and start to get dehydrated and go fucking crazy and shit and start, you know, trying to build different shit. He's rationing water, all this stuff. And it's, but I mean, it's, you have to understand that's pretty fucking flimsy. Like that's a pretty boring plot and that's 
all we get the perspective of. We don't know what's going on with Keith. He's gone. He's not around. And it's just, it's so uneventful and it's so fucking pointless. And you just don't know what the fuck's going on. My highlights for this movie are super boring. So he, one point he, uh, he finds the carcass of like a crashed private jet, kind of like a, like a little airplane. He kind of dismantles some of it and uses it to build this makeshift shelter and, you know, because, like, windstorms and stuff in the desert. And he also gets visited by this mysterious woman who... Y- you don't really know shit about her. She's just, like, kind of antagonizing him and stuff. And so, you're kind of like, what's going on here? Like, what... what Are they trying to pull the wool over my eyes? Like, what are they doing? I guess I would just say, you know... If I were to critique this movie, I would say... It's not a poorly shot movie. I was genuinely surprised based on what I was reading on Wikipedia and what I was reading on IMDb. I expected shitty production value. I expected horrible, horrible uh, cinematography and stuff like that. But it wasn't. It was. It was all reasonably good. It was all, you know. It was just like it was like watching a real Hollywood movie. You know what I mean? And that was what I found strange about this movie was. I fully expected, you know, based on the Neil Breens or the Tommy Wiseaus of the past, I thought, hey, this is going to be a shitty fucking poorly made movie. And honestly, I would say that the movie was not poorly made. It was just poorly written. It was probably well executed even because that was probably exactly what Anthony Hayes wanted out of this movie. But my God, I mean, you're actually just so bored watching the movie and then like, It's only like an hour and 37 minutes, I think. Yeah, an hour and 37 minutes. And it is, you you feel like you're you're just watching paint dry. And then all of a sudden the end comes and you're like, what the fuck just happened? How can I get this time back? And it was only 97 minutes. A couple of notes slash, you know, trivia type items. Um, This was shot in Australia. So I put a few quotes in, or at least one quote. Uh, It says, the film includes a desert sandstorm scene for which fans and sand were transported to the desert location. However, a real sandstorm began in the region and the actors agreed to shoot in it instead. Efron broke a bone in his hand halfway through the shoot but concealed it from the crew to avoid stalling production. Wow. Like, he probably just wanted it. He, He probably just wanted the the entire production to be over with. That's that's the real story there. That's what I think anyway. He just he was like, "Oh god, what did I sign up for? There's no way this is going to make any money. I'm fucked, blah blah blah." There's apparently there's like some kind of streaming service or something or production company in Australia called Stan and its name is all over this movie. Um, And these are the kind of trivia items I was able to find for you, the listener, you know. Uh, That's the best I could do. Uh, Madman Entertainment theatrically distributed it in Australia. Uh, In 2021, Screen Media Films acquired U.S. distribution rights to the film in a bidding war, as it says on Wikipedia. And my note was... I assume the bidding war was much like haggling over a used or broken crockpot at a garage sale. Apparently this, this screen media films is actually like 
chicken soup for the soul entertainment like it's their company which i find staggering i have i could not find any information at all on what the budget was for this movie and i assume it was probably not very much i doubt they spent too too much on it the worldwide gross to date and this came out in january of 2022 is $145,218 and I'd be willing to bet that it didn't make its money back. I'm just I'm just guessing. The IMDb rating is 5.4 out of 10. The Rotten Tomatoes critics score is 66%. Uh, I looked through these because I was really surprised that it was that good of a score and I had never heard of any of the critics on there at all. I had not, not even one name stuck out as like, oh yeah, I've heard of that guy. And like, honestly, I don't know all the critics or anything. Don't get me wrong. Just because I'm a member of the industry or whatever. Um, I don't, I don't know, you know, I know like Richard Roper, Michael Phillips, you know, A.O. Scott, you know, like just a handful of people that are familiar, but like there were, there was nobody on there and there were like, no publications to be spoken about that I knew anything about either. Uh, the Rotten Tomato audience score was 40%. My personal rating for this movie, and this is generous. I want you to understand how generous I'm being, but I'm legitimately surprised that it even came together and was like a semi-coherent story. But I'm going to say 1.5 out of 5 stars. And I think that that's being really nice to it. I don't know that it's earned that. But that's that's where I'm at with this one, guys. So I, I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to chime in. Shout out to Chris for the, the movie suggestion. I'd love it if in the future people suggested movies that are like so bad they're good movies. That are like, you know, they stand out as as being like enjoyable to watch still because they're so terrible, you know, but that's, that's where I'm at with it. So I just wanted to make sure I touched base with that. And I'm sure that no matter what way I end this one, you know, I'll, I'll probably, it'll have this awkward transition to the next part of what I was talking about in the original recording because it's been so many days since I recorded it and you can only really record things the day of and within that same like hour or two time frame otherwise you're fucked because your voice just it does different things you know your your voice warm and then plus i've got you know all sorts of issues with my vocal cords and shit so anyway i hope you enjoyed this little sneak peek and i i, I welcome all of your suggestions i don't know if i can do this big of a turnaround you know i mean i just just heard about this movie yesterday and it's going to be presumably out by two days after I heard about it, which is not going to happen. I cannot promise that to anybody. So, you know, just be aware of that. And that's the thought I will leave you with. Uh, This has been Brandon Griffiths for Brandon at Random Reviews. Please check out my blog site at brandonatrandom.wordpress.com and see what I got going there, and I hope you enjoy it, and have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr. 